What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of Coast to Coast. I am Ronan Gain. Joining me as always, Christian Nambu. The regular season has ended. We are heading towards the NBA playoffs. Lots more still to happen this year. We don't know how it's going to play out, but today we're going to be discussing some of uh, the major takeaways from the regular season. We're not going to be looking ahead into the play-in or the playoffs just yet. We're going to be looking back on what's been a very uh, a very interesting regular season. But before we before we get into that and before we discuss our kind of major takeaways, we've got to discuss a few quick points. I know Chris is desperate to talk about Kenny Lofton Jr.'s big 40-point uh, game. But I think the, the major story we got to start with has to be um, Rudy Gobert and the Minnesota Timberwolves. I mean, it, it, did it just finally reach boiling point between those guys? Is that something that's going to be forgotten about? Uh, where, where, where are you at with that? Listen, I, I thought Kenny Lawson Jr. is headlining this podcast. I, I agreed to do this podcast on the one condition that that was our main topic. So we're already off to a tough start. But I guess... I guess we can talk about what, whether that was a punch. First of all, was that a punch or a shove? Uh, you, you tell me. Was that 50% shove, 50% punch? He was like, I want to punch him, but I can't. I'm not allowed to punch him. I'll go for a shove. <laughs> what was it? Was it a was it a bad does Rudy Gobert not know how to punch? Or is he just what was that like a hey, knock it off before I actually punch you kind of thing? I, I don't know. It was it was tough to tell. It was very, it was very complicated, you know, like his, his body language is off. Like he didn't really have his hips into it. So the mechanics, I mean, the shooting mechanics aren't there and the punching mechanics aren't there. I don't know if this is skill. I don't know if this is an accident. I, I can't really tell. You tell me. Yeah, I think it was kind of that sort of situation where I think he he decided he thinks I'm going to punch this guy and then halfway through he's like, oh, maybe I shouldn't <laughs> do that. <laughs> in front of national television on our bench for everyone to see um to be fair i mean kyle anish was kind of going in on him so that like let's let's take it from that perspective like everyone is like corroborating the fact that gobert is playing hurt um and kyle anderson was repeatedly calling him a female dog which you know you don't do that you know questioning his manhood in front of everybody um and rudy gobert is you know pretty infamously known to be quite insecure about his manhood so i i didn't think that was cool on kyle anderson's part i you you just keep that stuff to the locker room i i think it's clear that anderson's very much a emotional leader of the team at times but like that there's no reason for that to escalate to that point that was that was i would not say uncharacteristic because i think that's pretty characteristic of where the trajectory of this team has gone over the past three months but man i mean just a tough sight yeah, and then it gets worse for them because obviously the frustrations boil over from that, and McDaniel's punches the wall and fractures his yeah. hand. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's going to be a big. That's a that's a that's a huge huge blow going into the playing game against the Lakers. It's it's a blow in going into the playing game, and it's a, it's ultimately a, a a blow for them long term, uh, at least as far as the playoffs goes. Because I think the Timberwolves, the Lakers. Pelicans, the Thunder, like all these teams believe that, you know, they can get through this and make a run. And I don't think the Timberwolves are making a run without McDaniel's defense. I, I think that injury right there sealed their fate to be a first round exit because they're not, they're not going to survive without him on the perimeter. Um, at least for a seven game series against all the elite talent in the West. So that, that is probably the biggest blow out of everything. Um, I, I love that KG had, had talked about, or quickly tweeted out like 
nothing like a little scuffle to get your juice flowing for the playoffs. And that, that's one way to look at it. I mean, obviously these guys are both like passionate competitors. They care. They're both arguing at each other for, you know, doing the right thing on the boards, doing the right thing on defense. And it's not, you know, clearly not a personal thing, but it just seems, it seems to me that it's not just two, two teammates that are, really it's not like Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown getting in an argument like two like equals or leaders like the these are two veterans who should be you'd imagine be the the steadying force of the team and the one thing I noticed the most about this whole event is the fact that Anthony Edwards and Kat are kind of just on the bench head down not paying attention like just like basically blocking out like all right if you're yelling at each other whatever we're just gonna leave it alone like there's no sort of leadership from your two most talented players which I think always makes for a difficult locker room dynamic. Yeah, yeah, I think that's uh that's definitely a fair point, but it definitely it kind of feels like this is something that was uh that's been bubbling up for a while and was kind of almost we needed to kind of see this sort of thing out of the Timberwolves. Let's see where it uh where it might lead to now. But before we get into our takes then, you wanna have wanna give your boy Kenny a, a shout out then? Yeah, I mean if we're talking about greatest takeaways of the season, it's that I was hundred percent right about this kid coming out of the the um the summer league. I mean, dude looked like a mixture of Shaq and Hakeem Olajuwon and a, a Duncan Sue, like all mixed into one athlete. It's just amazing to see. And then you told me, I remember it. I'm paraphrasing you, of course, but you said something to the likes of don't get too excited. He's probably never going to see the floor in this season. <laughs> and don't make me pull receipts because I know you said it. And this man scored 42 points, albeit in a game that Maybe at the end of the day, it didn't matter. But in 38 minutes, guy scores 42 points. Looks like, at a bare minimum, a very, very valuable player for a team that just lost Steven Adams, probably for the, I mean, I think definitely, right, for the for the postseason. Uh, almost and, definitely, yeah. Yeah. Um, it, it's interesting that this is now the second player we've seen get a stem cell uh, infusion into their their injury. That's not something we've seen before. I think Lonzo Ball also uh, is getting something similar. But um, but yeah, I mean the Grizzlies are going to need a guy who's going to to fulfill the rebounding that they lose from Stephen Adams. If he can bring that offensive rebounding, this forty two point game is not going to continue. But that impact he's going to have on the boards, I think that matters. That that's a big deal. Yeah, I mean, it, it certainly put a name in the conversation. They're going to look twice now. They're going to think about him when they're when they're needing to fill, to fill minutes. And then, and I, even just a performance like that will make the the front office, the the coaching staff, even think about him more so during the off season and think about him in ways to to integrate him more into into the team moving forward. That's that's what a performance like. Uh, like that did like I mean he I, he got his opportunity and he went out and took it. Let's see where he can uh, where he can leave it off from yeah. uh, from here. Yeah, what an answer though that like on the front office point that they extend him. They signed him to a four year contract, which is like pretty pretty unheard of for a two way guy after his first year to get a four year deal. That's pretty unheard of. And then for him to immediately answer that and drop a forty point game, like you got to feel good as a GM. For you to go out on a limb and sign a guy like that who hasn't shown anything except for being rookie of the year in G League and then from drop 40 in an NBA game, that's that's great business. The Grizzlies just know how to how to make moves like that. Yeah, they're 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 smooth operators. All right. Now let, let, let's get into the to the ma- the the major stuff. We're gonna kind of work it as I'll, I'll announce when we have our major takeaways, but more broadly, we're gonna discuss uh 
points that have become very evident or they they almost seem so obvious but at the same time it's been it's been a season where these sort of points have become very clear and the the started off it just this whole season it's been a, with a number number of examples from the last off season from the trade deadline this year teams can be a lot closer to contention than you think when you've got teams that have the guy or a top level duo it's just all about the smaller moves that can get the right pieces around to ultimately make them into a contender it doesn't have to always be that huge major trade that huge major free agent signing and we've seen that a lot this year yeah i mean we're not reinventing the wheel here we're not you know developing a string theory like it's not crazy to say that it's like the little pieces that matter but i think so often we're so focused on can we get that guy another star can we can we get another big talent on this team can this guy take it to the next level? When in reality, I mean, I think a lot of what we've seen this season, um, and I think the Kings are just the greatest example of this and a lesson to everyone in the league that, you know, teams are closer than you think, especially when you have the talent that they have. They they really have the structure to bring in a coach, to bring an identity and bring in a pure shooter like, uh, like Herder. And those things meshed seamlessly. And it, I don't think we really pictured at all last season that a team like that you know, you just add in like two supporting pieces. I mean, a coach is a, probably the biggest supporting piece to a successful team and a, a two-way shooter, dead-eye shooter. That's a massive piece. But I don't think if you just like said, oh, you're just two pieces away from a from a, uh, a real legit playoff team, we would have called you crazy. And I think that's something to learn that, you know, there's, there's a lot more that goes into it than just, you know, getting – getting the guy or that guy leveling up. It's what's really surrounding him and paying attention to little details like that. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I mean, look at just looking at the Kings compared to last year. They were 30 and 52 last year, 12th in the West, 25th offensive rating, 27th defensive rating. This year, 48 and 34, third in the West, first in offensive rating, 119.4. They were 25th in defense, so defense still was uh, – was a bit of a struggle, but an improvement is an improvement. They're going in the right direction. And that was really with having Simonis for a full season. The addition of Herder, who's averaging 15 points per game, shooting 40% from three. Adding a spark plug like Malik Monk coming off the bench, 13.5 points per game. And drafting well, Keegan Murray, mm-hmm. 12 points per game, 41% from three. I mean... It's those little moves. It's that overall completion that really turns a team. And, and it, it, it's great to see with the Kings. It's a great way that they've bounced back. They didn't have to add anything huge. But yet, they are a top three seed in the West. And if anyone bet on that before the year, we would have thought they were crazy. Yeah. And quick question for that. Do you think, you know, there's been a lot of lamenting since the Halliburton trade? Do you think making the playoffs this season and seeing and it's not just like there's something different about how this team has made the playoffs because this team has made the playoffs as with a new identity like the, this is a distinctly different culture a different team than they were last year. Do you think it was worth it? Absolutely, hundred percent. Mm. I mean, before I well, like even started the year looking 
or what Halliburton was able to do in Indiana and the Kings hadn't really fully got going yet, but long, they were on the longest uh, non-playoff drought in the entire uh, entire league. It's been, what, since 2006, the last time they were in the playoffs, so they've made the moves to get back in the playoffs. Not only have they got back in, they're a top three seed in the West. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah absolutely, 100%, right thing yeah. to do. Yeah, different conversation, obviously, if they're in the play-in, but, like, just they are absolutely i mean they proved to be a top 5 team in the west and that's that's in probably one of the most tough uh races in probably a decade to say the least and then the lakers too um the, the lakers too is a team that I, I felt was impossible to fix totally impossible to fix what moves can you make there's just too many too many needs and obviously we knew what they were missing um, but I think we, I think we definitely underestimated the degree to which a small rearrangement of this roster to pieces that made sense would have unlocked this team again in a, in a very real way. And this team, um, since the trade has won 18 games. Mm-hmm. And I, I don't think that, I think when, <laughs> when Schroeder had said they, they need to win 19 games, something we like, yeah, okay, sure you know, in 19 games, you're right. You're going to be in the 10th seat. You're going to be on the outside looking in. And they proved absolutely that they're, that all they needed was just functional pieces around LeBron, around AD with this, with this defensive minded team and that they were going to able be able to actually be a contender again. And I think most people can look at this team and legitimately say with LeBron healthy, with AD healthy, and now, sensible pieces this is a playoff this is not just a playoff team this is a contention a contender and i think i think i underestimated for sure how how much a small change like this would make you know the addition by subtraction not having not that russ in and of itself was a bad player but what he did took away from what the lakers were trying to do as a team and how how impactful that was now I don't think we we predicted that to the degree at which it's uh come to play. Yeah, I mean it's been unbelievable. Obviously, Lakers—they've started the season two and ten. They've were below five hundred all season. They've been completely written off. We didn't believe AD or LeBron could either could stay healthy. They were both in and out of the team. Then they go and they add some shooting. They add some defense. They add some playmaking. Then they go eighteen and eight after the trade deadline. That's in a time where LeBron missed 13 games. And now they're looking like a team where a lot of people are tipping them to be making a few upsets. And some saying Western Conference Finals, some saying NBA Finals. Don't know if I'm quite ready to hop on that bus, but think of they went from completely written off to that without making a ginormous, amazing move, which is what a lot of people were wanting them to, to try and do, like getting a guy like Kyrie Irving in. And it's it's worked really well. We also saw another team that were under pressure to add another star in Dallas, which we'll discuss later, and it hasn't worked out for them. They, they mm-hmm. went and they got the big star, and it's completely gone the other way. The Lakers showed their patience. They showed their experience. They, they made the right moves, and now it's just a question of can they go can they go on and do it now? We we'll uh we'll still wait and see. I think they'll go and beat the Timberwolves and they'll be the seventh seed. So them up against the Grizzlies, that'll be a, a very interesting matchup. I would be 
I think I'd be more confident in them beating the Nuggets than the Grizzlies. Uh, that's uh, I'm, I'm, I'd be looking forward to seeing uh, that matchup moving forward. But I think that brings me to my first major takeaway of the year, and that's based off this. And I think the Miami Heat are a team that are that little bit, that maybe that small bit, that big move from from becoming a contender again. Obviously, last year they were the first seed in the East, fifty three and twenty nine. A top 10 offense, the top five defense this year, 44 and 38, seventh in the East, 25th in offensive rating. They're still a top 10 defense, but they were the team that are being tipped when KD originally uh, made his uh, trade request, which was back in what, like August. They were being one of the teams highly touted. It was kind of getting to that stage where it's like, we're going to have one more run with this team. We might as well go all in and, and add that next, uh, that other star that obviously hasn't worked out. That's not going to happen, but I think that's a, a route that they should definitely explore in the off season. I think if they're going to go for it with this team, I think they need to make a, a, a drastic change. So I, I don't know how it's possible, but they can work it, but I would be looking at them and saying, if they were to pursue a guy like Kyrie Irving, I think that'd be a good fit and a good addition to this team and would get them back up to the level that they, they're they missing this year. They're that little extra spark that they're missing to be considered one of the, one of the top contenders in the, in the East. Yeah. I, I, I definitely think that's the heat are the exception to this, this rule of, of, well, actually that, they're not actually this season. They're quite the opposite. What we've seen last season really is, is them cobblestoning players together to, to make a team work in a way that we didn't expect. Um, and a lot of that kudos to their player development. Um, but this season has looked the opposite. I mean, they did lead the league in games missed. So they by far just had the hardest time getting any continuity on the floor you know, Jimmy Butler doesn't seem to turn it on until the post-All-Star break. And and, and Kyle Lowry just is not the guy that they thought he'd be. Tyler, Tyler Hero has had a solid season. Uh, Bam has had a solid season. But just as a whole, this team hasn't put it together um, in a very similar way that the, the Hawks have put it together consistently game to game. Um, but I, I think the, the reason why you'd feel more confident in the Heat trading for a guy like Kyrie or another guy that I'm thinking of that we might talk about um is that they just they as an organization they know how to to keep a culture like there's there's no question that whoever is coming into the heat like you are fitting into heat culture that the culture doesn't shift to you so right now the question i think with the Mavs is like who are the Mavs? they, they had an interesting go last season where it was lucas team on offense and then everyone bought in on defense um and if we're if we're kind of oscillating between talking about the Mavs and heat here a little bit um, I, I think that's a that's a big deal for for Kyrie also because does Kyrie want to be a part of a team where he has to you know fit the mold or does he want to be on a team that accepts him for who he is and I think the Mavericks have honestly been very low-key and very accepting and all the all the things that have been said don't seem forced it seems like everyone has a general like positive energy about Kyrie's presence and, you know, it's, you know, part of it's probably lip service or whatnot, 
but it seems like he he fits there in a way that's comfortable and not forced they're not trying to make him a hero they're not trying to make him whatever like they accept him as a leader there i, I don't know I, I don't know if if that necessarily specifically is a move that would work but the heat i think i i'm i'm wondering why we don't look at the heat differently because because we look at the warriors and we we look at them as okay they won a championship last year so even though they had a bad year this season they're going to figure it out they're going to turn it on but the heat have shown that they they also i mean they, they're always a force to be reckoned with once it comes playoff time once you get into a seven game series like it's going to be a battle with them so while, while I did say that all the games missed, I mean, you, you also are going to say like that's a product of why they have the worst season-long net rating out of all the 20 teams that are qualifying for the playoffs here. Mm-hmm. So they've just not been a good overall team throughout the whole season. But I, I think they, they deserve a little bit of confidence more than we're giving them based on how they've performed before. That That's just me. Yeah, yeah, I think that's that that, that is a, probably probably a fair point, I think. I, I, as... I, I in my head, like I, I said it to you earlier, I think if if the Heat were really taken at this stage, I think they would have pipped the uh, the Brooklyn Nets and got the sixth seed. It might not yeah. make up too big of a difference when you think about it. Uh, obviously, sixth seed they would have faced Philly. Now they're likely. I I I think they'll beat the uh, the Atlanta Hawks. I think they they'll get the seventh seed and obviously face the the Celtics, who they took to seven games last year. Now they won't be easy to shrug off, but. To, to switch over and talk Celtics, I think in, in terms of uh, teams clo- being closer than contention, we think, I know obviously the Celtics had that great year last year, went all the way to the finals, but then they they had those issues in the offseason. Everything went on with Imi Yudoka. You're kind of like, okay, what's what's going to happen now? But they made some really clever additions. They they made some big power moves in the in the trade market. And they are now the best team in basketball. That's a that's another takeaway I have for this year. The Boston Celtics are the best team in basketball. 57 and 25, second in the East. Only finished a game back on the on the books. They're second in offensive rating, third in defensive rating, first in net rating overall. They got five players shooting 39% or better from three. They got a duo in Tatum and Brown who are averaging 56.7 points per game. They got a sixth man of the year in Malcolm Brogdon. I mean, there's just no weakness within within this team, and I and I don't see who is gonna take them down uh going in going into the postseason. Yeah, and I think what what better way to like to compare and contrast like two different teams and two different cultures. And I think that's that's probably a big takeaway for me this season too. Is that we we started off talking about Gobert, we started off talking about Timberwolves and a lack of leadership there, and how you know obviously losing breeds tension, losing breeds negative energy. But look at all the Celtics have been through the past three years, like the the up and downs, and the the doubts and the trade rumors and everything that's come with that, and especially you have that with two burgeoning young stars and the typical narrative of having to split guys up just because one guy is, you know, competing to be the guy. And they've just consistently not embraced that sort of typical mold. And I think I've always looked at, at Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum as, you know, the potential like fulfillment of the what if of Trace McGrady and Vince Carter, like those two guys 
had stuck together and not wanted to have their own, the guy, be the guy in their own team. And, you know, aside from like some, some very scary reporting uh, last month about uh, Jalen Brown and some comments he's made, I mean, the buy-in from this team from top to bottom and the, and the culture that they've developed there on top of just how good they are on the floor, it's impressive. It's professional. There's nothing negative to be said about this team outside of, you know, that that debacle that happened with uh, Ime Yodoka. And I think we gave a, maybe maybe we gave too much credit to Ime for how he put this team together. You know, I, I think I think it's clear to us now that a lot of that is internal. Like these are these are men that have that have come together on their own with the help of Yudoka, but they are who they are because you know that's just the um the DNA of the Celtics at this point. And I think that that's a massive takeaway for me because that tells me that this this wasn't, you know, we better win a championship before one of them gets upset and leaves. Like this is a team that's committed to be in contention for as long as these guys are healthy and along they're they're together, which, you know, hopefully that's a decade. Yeah, that's an interesting contrast compared to like obviously the Heat and the, who they faced in the Eastern Conference Finals last year. They made the moves to sustain mm. their their level. The Heat not as much obviously injuries have have had their their impact on this team, but the Heat have failed to kind of to to make those right moves to be able to sustain their their level of uh of productivity, which is uh, which is quite quite interesting, but we'll, we won't go too overboard in it because I still don't fully want to ever rule out the heat. But I think the Celtics will uh, will take care of business if it ends up being them in the uh, in the first round matchup. But then we'll we'll flip then to the other side of the. Uh... Before we get off the Celtics, though, can, okay, can right. I make one one thing? Because we're talking Celtics and why they've been so good. Picture this: Grant Williams, a guy who we thought this season is going to be playing for a massive contract because of what he did last playoffs. And you talk about the moves. Obviously, you got um, Malcolm Brogdon, how good he's played. Derek White having resurgence. Al Horford still shooting a million percent from three. And then you have Sam Hauser, a guy who came out of nowhere. And, and it's it's comical because like he's getting in sometimes in, in games where it's like the Celtics are winning so so easily that it's like well of course he's shooting. 46% from three, like the, the dudes playing against third stringers. This guy, um, and this is the noisy stat, but has the best individual defensive rating amongst qualified players in the league. And he's a guy who's played throughout the whole season. And he's shooting about 40% from three. So I, I'm, that's not to say put this guy in the all-defensive team, but you see it on the floor. He's a very good defender. Like He's very solid. He's he's not going to be your, your point of attack. But they just have guys like that and are developing – guys bringing guys up that are the exact mold of what this team needs and that is depth that's another major takeaway before you get off the Celtics is their depth is just insane you can lose Malcolm Brogdon you got Derek White you can lose Marcus Smart you got Malcolm Brogdon Derek White and I mean even Peyton Pritchard a guy who's their fourth string I think a lot of teams would be happy to be you know a a backup point guard and and spot minutes and you're I mean what they what they had with the Luke Cornett experience for a little bit and then they get Muscala, who's been a perfect pick and pop big, big, and just what this this all has to come down to, um, you know, Celtics management. I mean, Celtics management has put together like the the perfect team with the perfect star duo, and I guess we're we're done falling all over ourselves over the Celtics. But just to say, like that, you absolutely right. Best team, best players, awesome coach, best organization, absolutely in the league this year. That, that's that's got to be number one. Yeah. Yeah. 100%, 100%. And we'll have to flip then to the other side, the other side of things where we look at it and you think as 
as much as teams are close to the contention, there's teams are also so very close to the tank as well. It can, it can very easily go both ways. We've seen that with uh, with uh, a few teams this year, uh, most notably, obviously, the, the Dallas Mavericks. I mean, obviously, went to the Western Conference Finals last year to now not being in the playoffs, not even in the play-in tournament. They went a different way to what the Lakers did. They were pressured to get uh, Luca some help, pressured to get Luca that second star alongside them. They went and did that, but in doing so, they literally lost all of their defense, and it just blew up as a complete failure. So, I mean, it, it's just it's amazing that it can work so in those ways, and it, it shows that there's a lot of importance that's on the front office and the guys making the biggest decisions in in in, in building the right roster around when you when you have a talented player and not listen to the noise and just stay sticking to your guns and and making the right decisions yeah the the that's like the opposite effect where it's like i, I didn't i assumed that the the mavs defense would, would be bad very bad um losing dorian finney smith um, but that the the depths to which they have fallen defensively, um, to the point where they can't even beat an undermanned Charlotte Hornets team, that that is so demonstrative to me that there's something fundamentally wrong with this team right now. You know, I I I believe in I believe in Luca, and I'll, I'll go out on a limb, and this might sound crazy right now. But I believe in a team built around Luka Doncic and Kyrie Irving. Absolutely. I absolutely believe in that team because I witnessed how good that team was with Spencer Dinwiddie and Jalen Brunson. And that, and just that that formula of having a shot maker next to Luka and what having two elite ball handlers on the floor with good defenders around them, good 3 and D defenders, like that, that worked. But they didn't have enough of that this season and losing during Finney Smith. I mean, that, that was, that was a straw that broke the camel's back. And if they're that far away, if, if they're that close rather to, to falling out of the playoffs and just being a completely dysfunctional team, you got to believe the opposite is true. And you got to believe that, you know, if, if they, if they get this pick, that this is going to be the controversial thing. And I think maybe this is a topic for another podcast where, you know, we, we think about what is actually What's the best thing to do for this team right now? Because the a lot of people would say, "Oh, trade that pick, get go get somebody." Is is that the best answer? That's that's a tough question to ask. But they at least have a chance to reload this summer, reevaluate, and if they're that close to being out of the playoffs, I think they're also that close to being a championship caliber team. Because you have Luka Doncic, and if Kai, if he is signed on to this team if he is committed to this team. And like I said, I, I feel like the vibes, all things considered, aren't that bad. They're really not. Um, and I think Dallas gives him a perfect environment where he doesn't have the stress of the media like he does in some other cities. And he doesn't have the, you know, the stress of, I think, I think Doncic is very chill. Like he's, he's not going to be the type to kind of pressure him for anything, which is on the opposite side. If he went to Miami, that's going to be a very, different scenario with his uh, buddy Jimmy Butler. I don't know how much longer they'd be friends for if if they're there playing together. Yeah, that may be true. But that will lead me to my third takeaway in thinking that 
it's always important to to remember and all of this that that talent doesn't talent alone does not win championships does not make you the best does not put you at the at the top it's hard work it's commitment i mean the guys are paid this big money to to be in elite shape to be able to to do things that other guys can't do and that's that's going to that, that's something that luca needs to really take a look at and look at himself Start of the year, he actually like, kind of looked in the best shape he ever had starting a season. And it actually looked like he was committing a bit more defensively. But then as the season progressed, he kind of regressed on that. It was back to being a bit uh, just lethargic and, and not really not really clued in whenever it came to, to having to deal defensively. I mean, look, the guy had a career year in terms of... Uh, Points per game, steals, two point percentage, uh, free throw attempts. The dude was off the charts. Thirty two point four points per game, eight point six boards, eight uh, eight assists. I mean, when you got that level of talent, it's just a question of the work ethic. Is how determined are you to be the best, to be a winner? He's got to commit in a big way to getting himself in the best possible shape so he's able to do it on both ends of the floor and he's able to and just in general the team are able to build around him then and he's able to give all of himself because there's a lot of times when you look at Dodgers and he's just gassed out there. And like He's still able to do the magic that he can produce but it's so often that he looks gassed and it's kind of like you need the obviously the roster around you so you don't have to do so much but you also got to be at that level that you're in the elite shape you need to be to be able to do it for a regular season and be able to do it through a playoff run as well. Yeah, and that's that's why it's so important. It's paramount to to keep Kyrie. It's paramount mm-hmm. to develop a guy like Jaden Hardy. Paramount to, to keep those guys and develop them and put the ball in their hands because, number one, you give Doncic rest. And I think – you got to give him a break, but it's the the fact that you have to give him a break for having such a load on his back because he is going to be gassed because he's not naturally a defensive player, but you need to put him in a situation where he doesn't have the reason or now excuse to not be competitive on the other end of the floor. So I think that's, that's such a big thing is you, you look at Jokic, for example, what Jokic has done to be passable defensively, I think is huge because he's not an athlete. I mean, he's he's an athlete, obviously, but he's not a NBA level center athlete at all, which is why he went so far in the second round. And for him to do what he does to a passable level defensively, you know, to to be competing on the defensive boards, to be contesting shots, to use his intelligence in his hands to to get him passing leads and just do all those things, that's something that still inspires confidence in in his teammates to be competitive on that end. When when you got the 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 lethargy, when you got the lack of activity, just the lack of want on that end, it's hard. I mean, who's who's a defensive leader on that team? They don't have a, like a, a galvanizing leader on the defensive end who's like demanding everyone's attention, who's who's communicating on that end, who's demanding greatness and effort. They don't have that. So Luca's never going to be that. But Luca can't be a negative on that, and. You know, I mean, for wrapping up on Mavs, I mean, for takeaways, that's that was our team. I mean, that was my MVP. That was, you know, their 
at least at least coming into the offseason last year, I, I figured they would try to to make more moves to make this roster make a little bit more sense. Cause I think it was unrealistic for them to expect to play that good a defense again. But there there was a formula there that that could have made it to the finals. There's a formula that could have won a championship with Luca. And I think they're still seeking that. And you know, like I said, if they're that close to being here in the plan, I think they're also that close to being right back in it. Yeah, there's pressure, big pressure on this on 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 both Luka Doncic and this uh, Dallas front office to make uh, to make uh, important changes heading into the into the off season. But another team that are are were, well, I know I was certainly uh, believing in before the the start of the uh, the year was the was the Portland Trailblazers. I mean, we were having the return of Dame, the addition of Jeremy Grant, uh, the rise of Anthony Simons, the addition of Gary Payton II, the way Josh Hart was going to play. Nurkic was coming back, and it all looked like it was uh, it, this could have been the best ever version of the Portland Trailblazers in in the Dame Lillard era. That was a quote. And then, and then it just all just went to hell. I mean, Payton gone at the trade deadline. Josh Hart gone at the trade deadline. The team finishes thirty three and forty nine, thirteenth in the in the Western Conference. I mean, they're another example of a team that looked like they were right in the on the uh, on the bounce back. They were going to get back into the playoffs. They were going to be that competitor around a, a superstar and Damian Lillard, and it just all went the the wrong way. And that that's leads me to my fourth my fourth takeaway. It's it's Damian Lillard just has to get out of. Of Portland, I don't believe it's going to happen. I don't think he really wants it, but I mean, if when you're having a career year, I mean, 32 points per game, he's averaging 32, 5 and 7 on 57 and 37, 91 splits, and the team isn't good enough around you to even make the plan. That's that's just crazy. I mean, that that he has to look at that and think, as much as he's not a ring chaser or anything like that. He's got to. He's a competitor. He can't. That that's not okay at this stage of his career. I. It was tough. This is a tough season for the Blazers. That that we're now at the point where we're just again every single offseason demanding that he leaves, and he's he's not leaving, and he's making it so he couldn't possibly make it more clear that he wants to leave now. I mean, last season it was like a, it was a question mark, and he made it ambiguous about his desire to leave if they don't figure things out and i mean at a certain point it's like it's okay it's okay if he wants out like i don't no one's gonna no one's gonna flame him for that no one's going to to be on him for that but yeah i remember we we literally said this is the most complete team that he's had and i don't we weren't predicting they're gonna you know make the the finals we weren't predicting they're gonna necessarily even like make it to the western conference finals but with with what they had going, I mean, even <laughs> you remember the Justice Winslow period <laughs> where they were playing Justice Winslow at like point center. I was like, "Whoa, where did this come from? This is fun. This is different. This this is this is new." Um, but I I still think that you know the the Josh Hart thing once like he got traded, it was like, "Oh, okay, they they know," and they're not, and maybe that was a responsible thing to do. Like they they knew that even though this team looked better than last year, which is not a accomplishment by any measure at all, um, that they weren't going to make it far in the playoffs. And maybe, maybe that was a responsible thing. We'll, we'll see where the, where the, where the lottery odds land them. 
And maybe that's what they do to pivot. And then they have a choice. Then they, they have a choice to pivot away from Dame or they have a choice to, to um, pivot towards trading away whatever top four pick that they have to keeping Dame. And I, either decision is pretty hard because yeah, there's always been the conversation around whether or not Dame is going to win a championship as the best player on his team, which is the age-old question of every single player in this league besides LeBron James. Like, who, who else is, are you going to put that mantra on? But they're they're in a tough spot. Do, do you have any do you have any immediate solution? Like, Dame's here in the room, and you're like, Dame, you got to leave. And then he's going to be like, okay, so where am I supposed to go? Do you have an answer for him? I what's, mean, what's there's, the... there's, it's tough, obviously, because, like, teams would what they'd have to give up to, to give up that and still be a competitor with Dame Lillard. I think it's more realistic that it'd be in the Eastern Conference. I actually saw uh, this talked about today. I think uh, one was the Celtics, which I don't think, unless the stuff about Brown not really liking it in Boston, stuff he hears, if that's true, that's the only way I'd see that coming to fruition. But you look at possibly the 76ers, uh, they give up, like, did they give up Tobias Harris, Tyrese Maxey, whatever picks they've got? Bring Damon, Damon, uh, whether it's with Harden or not, I think Damon and Bead as a duo is pretty, uh, pretty formidable. What sort of defense uh, they can still have around that would be would be very interesting. I think I think they'd be a, an interesting one. The Knicks, maybe they probably wouldn't have enough. I, I mean, would they give give them R.J. Barrett, a whole lot of picks, maybe uh, uh, Emmanuel quickly and a couple other guy young guys as well. That's that's a possibility, but yeah, it, it's very tough to to find a situation that would work with the team giving up the assets they'd have to give up, but also still being a competitor once Dane got there as well. Yeah. What about the Heat? Yeah, Hero, I mean the Robinson, Tyler Hero, yeah. yeah, um, something like that. I'm I'm sure. not sure if that's a stronger package than getting like a, a Barrett and and a quickly or a uh, a maxi and picks, but I mean, regardless, if you if you compare the likelihood of either situation, I think it's probably more likely that another team is going to offer him a better situation than the the Blazers are because I I think the the thought that the thought is generally true that wherever Dame goes is going to be is going to be a somewhat similar situation to where he's at now. Mm-hmm. somewhat similar or a somewhat similar situation to where he was at with CJ because the assets it's going to take to get him there. Like it's got to be an organization that could figure it out. I mean, the heat proven that they can do something like to that degree, but I, I think the, the recent news about Cronin talking about wanting to get target Jalen Brown, OG Ananobi, Mikhail Britt, that's it's nonsense. It's nonsense that the Blazers think that they've that they've somehow put themselves in a position to to get guys like that, and then compete with with Dame. Like you just you still just don't don't have enough. And maybe we'll just see in the off season. But that that is a major takeaway. Do you, do you think this is is that your is that your takeaway that this is Dame's last this is last season in Portland? Will he be in New I, Jersey? I hope he is, but I'm still I I I don't think he's gonna leave. I, I just don't believe I think he wants to stay there. I think he, he wants to just I think he'll be happy in himself to just retire as the greatest trailblazer who's ever played. 
but I would love to see him on a team that are gonna are set up to to compete in a in a playoff situation. That's that's what I, my hope my hope for Damian Lillard. Yeah, I'm just really curious how, how does Cronin think uh, plan on getting Mikael Bridges because clearly uh, he wasn't up for sale for four first round picks. So I I that's he's really reaching. Really reaching on that one. Yeah, there's a lot, a lot of reaching going on. We'll see how we'll see how that one plays out. But then, uh, to, to to finish out, then we'll uh, a a third the the broader the broader aspect of it. The number of teams this year that that were young cores weren't really expected to do much, but actually ended up showing that they can compete, showing that they can uh, they can challenge some of the better teams, but ultimately falling off. It's something that you see all the time. It's why it's so important to add experience. It's why guys always talk about experience when they first get to the playoffs or when they uh, they first have their their first winning season. All experience, experience, and and it stands. It stands the reason when you look at, at this 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 year, especially. I mean, they can't sustain the success. The teams that have been led by young cores, young players, they they can't sustain the success. I mean, obviously. You look at like the Rockets and the Spurs, they were clearly losing. They they didn't have any interest in trying to win. There's no success to sustain. <laughs> no. And then yeah. you look at the Hornets and Pistons are kind of ones where you're like, they kind of wanted to be similar to like the Magic and the Pacers, I think. But obviously their league guys went down. So then they were happy enough to end up being tankers. Obviously Cade got injured early. Uh, Lamelo got injured early. So I think they, they might have worked out that way uh, anyway. But I think they were happy enough to tank once uh, once those injuries that came about they were kind of like okay that's that's actually pretty good now we can we can just tank our way hopefully Seriously, towards yeah. towards Webb and Yama and then you look at the likes of Utah the Pacers the Magic they went out and they tried to win they they wanted yeah. to 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 win this year they weren't saying oh we will just tank it is just Webb and Yama we we got to get him we got to be in the tank conversation no they just said Everyone's going to be doing that. We'll just go out and show the best versions of ourselves. But again, it fell short. The The Jazz obviously had their drop off. They had great years out of uh, a number of guys like Walker Kessler. Like obviously marketing was unbelievable. Plenty of other guys too. The Pacers, Halliburton really exploded onto the scene. They they got a great impact from uh, Matherin as a rookie. Uh, the Magic, obviously Bancaro, rookie of the year. They, they looked really, really good at, at times, but they couldn't they couldn't uh keep it up and that's just the the interesting uh point of it all like why is it that these young teams who just have nothing they're going in there nothing to fear nothing else they there is the talent there but why can't they why can't they just get to that that level of of even like getting around like the 40 win mark why is it so tough for that to happen I think there's a lot of things that, that plays into it. I think one players will often talk about the the conditioning and that there's there's a as an athlete the the growth that comes from being conditioned for a full 82 game season all year long like that's difficult and that's something that that takes time. So rookies, even second third year players, like they're still they're still maturing. And I think that's that's when you see players take big leaps is when they're not just having a big game every other night or so or once a week it's like every single night because they're conditioned they're ready to do that all season long and I think what plays in that too is like the injuries like young, young guys are not are not as sturdy as guys who've been training and competing and really fortifying their bodies for this for for years 
And I think just the the locker room presence of that that you don't have when you look at like the Celtics, for example. I think the Celtics were super unique in their their first playoff run when when Jason Tatum was a rookie because they had they had veterans there. They had, they had guys who were were battle tested, who were ready for that. Um, and I think even even the Cavs are an interesting case of you know being able to to you know make some noise last year and to, to be in the playoffs here is because they have a good mix of not just young talent, but also guys who are battle tested. Um, and the Pacers, I, you know, Miles Turner, veteran, sure, Buddy Heald, veteran, but there's, they, they don't. I, I think the Pacers also lack the, the final pieces to the puzzle. Mm. And I, I think the the Magic too are just too too young. There, there's, there's so, there's something about having, having the the veteran presence that that keeps things steady, keeps things going. So that's why I think it's even more impressive for, for teams like that to make it that far. And I think is a major, major indictment of greatness on Shea Gilgis Alexander for the Thunder to be in the play-in right now that, you know, where's their veteran presence? Where, where's, where, where's that? And he is lifting up a team that is young and he himself is a newly minted superstar in this league. And that's a that's a big deal. And I, I think, you know, we haven't had a huge opportunity to talk about any takeaways for them this podcast. But if we're talking about what separates young guys and what separates these teams from others, you know, who makes the playoffs, who doesn't, there, there's going to be that guy. Do you have that guy? And Shea, you know, all, Ben Carroll is too young. Like, he's, he's a rookie. Like, he's not going to not gonna make it that that far that quick. Um, Hal Burton, I think he needs other players to make him great. I mean, Shea has fully realized himself as the best player on a court at times. Like he knows it. Mm-hmm. I mean, teams are defending him like the best player on the court. You have a guy like that, I mean that that changes everything. That this obviously goes against their whole big takeaway of, you know, it's not just about talent. But in in this league, you, you have a guy like that and even though you have a young team, you you make it. Yeah. I yeah. It. And that's that's the the, the final takeaway for me, I mean, this whole season has just been a testament that the Oklahoma City Thunder, without doubt, have got the brightest future on paper in the NBA outside of kind of the, the playoff certs that there are in the league probably at the moment. But it's largely because of, of Shea, but like it, it feels like it could be the, the second coming for the Thunder. Obviously, they had that great drafting, great build-up when they got KD, Russ, Harden, they had they built on success and that obviously they ain't got a guy as talented as KD. There there isn't many out there that that have ever been in the NBA. They haven't got the explosive athlete that that is uh, Russell Westbrook. But what they do have then is Shea Gilgis Alexander, a thirty one point per game scorer this year, doing a little bit of everything. Uh, five five boards, five and a half assists. 1.6 steals, one block per game, shooting 51% from the field, shooting 91% from the free throw line and over 10 plus uh, attempts a game. And they got a guy like Giddy, who's just kind of a, a consistent three-point shot away from being a really elite two playing alongside Shea. He can he can provide that serious level, high level of playmaking. He's, he's a really good uh, rebounder for a guard. You got a guy like Jalen Williams. He could be your kind of spark plug. He could be your your guy coming coming off the bench. Uh, you got potential in Chet Holmgren. He could be a potentially generational big. We we haven't obviously got to see that yet. So you look at it 
and on paper it all it all seems to add up it all seems to be there like you said they have that guy Shea is that guy but can this alone make them a, a top six team in the west next year or do they need to add the, some more veteran presences to to be able to to be at that level yeah i think they're right now their most consistent big man uh, their most consistent two-way big man who unfortunately is hurt is Cameron Williams. Um, great player, great energy guy, great rebounder, you know, streaky shooter, a lot of activity on the boards, um, really switchable defensively, great guy. But having a big improvement, not just with having Chet out there, but getting other guys into the to the front court. That that's gonna be huge because they have great playmakers on the team. Jalen Williams, I, I don't think Jalen Williams would be a a, a bench guy next. I I think he'll absolutely be a starter. I think that's your that's your starting wing of the future. And that's probably the if you're if you're gonna ask reasons why a team is going to be able to to be in top six in East or West, that comes down to do you have do you have your starting wing? Like is your wing rotation set up? And I think that's that's a major shortcoming of the Pacers, for example. Um, that's I think that's set in stone. Jalen Williams is your wing, and he's a great playmaker as well. So you have Chet Holmgren, who I think is gonna is gonna struggle as a finisher, but as a as a mid-range shooter, we'll see as a three-point shooter. Um, and him as a playmaker, too. That's that's the thing with this team, man. It's like they have so many – they're completely amorphous. They have so many different ways to play. Like you put the ball in anyone's hand, they can make the right pass. They're, they've are they drafted high IQ guys who are instinctive passers, who are great on the boards, will run, who are smart enough in the half court. And it's just all the connecting pieces haven't quite fit there yet, which is why it's amazing that they're in the playoffs to begin with. Like they haven't fully finished building this team out. And what is it going to take for them to be in the top six next season? It Very little, very little. Just uh, the internal growth will happen. We've seen it. I mean, OKC is great at developing their players. And I, I believe that, you know, they have specifically brought in the shot doctor to get Giddy to the point where he's a better shooter. Um, and what do they need? They just need some front court pieces, better depth from the center position. They're going to need that to help Holmgren out. Um, the Stephen Adams esque kind of presence. Um, they're gonna need some shooters, and they have all the money in the world to do that. Yeah. So there's nothing, there's nothing really stopping them from a financial standpoint or a stylistic standpoint from, you know, figuring out their roster and not being a massive improvement and being a lock in the playoffs next year. So brightest future, absolutely. Next year, playoff lock for sure. Year after that, years down the road, like. Jalen Williams, that's a big question, right? How much better can he get? SGA, I think this is real. Like he's he's a superstar. Like every year he's going to be, he, he's going to be a a guy. People are asking why he's not on the the cover of 2K. Like he's he's a 2K athlete, and you don't have very many of them out there. So they're they're very exciting to me, and I'm I'm pumped to see what they do uh, if they make it in the playoffs. Yeah, that's certainly going to be exciting. I think uh, got to be. Got to be pumped up if you're if you're an OKC Thunder fan right now, and just to to watch how this team grows, considering how organically they've done it, it's just great as a as an NBA fan that you still want to believe that teams can build up through the draft and through through smaller trades as well. But that's gonna wrap up. That's our takeaways from the regular season, and then we move on towards the play in and the playoffs. That's still all still to come. Playing tournament starts Tuesday. We got Lakers, Timberwolves, Heat. Heat and Hawks. I think I think we're both pretty confident we're gonna see the Heat and the Lakers uh winning those two games. Yes, yeah. I think you're yeah. right there with we me. We called that. Yeah. 
I think that's fair. And then we go, we'll go see what happens with the Bulls and the Raptors. That, that's going uh, to be a really interesting battle. I know Chris is a bit nervous on that one, but uh, and then with OKC and, uh, and New Orleans, that's another game that could easily go either way. It could come down to to Brandon Ingram versus uh, versus SGA, who who can uh, who can come out on top. But it's all going to be really exciting. And then the playing playoffs to come. We've already we know some of the set matchups are going to be really fun. Knicks, Cavs, uh, Clippers, Suns. There's going to be some great matchups. It's all ahead of us. But for now, thank you all so much for listening. My thanks to Chris for joining me. Remember, if you like what you're hearing, like, subscribe, follow us everywhere on social media we are everywhere at coast to coast nba most importantly remember to take every shot and love every moment